So, Jay, I'm going to start with you. You speak of your mother, Bakim, being your first exposure to the values of integrity and humility. Just tell me how those principles were formed in you as a young person. Well, I grew up as the youngest of seven children that my mum had. My father was nearly 60, so I grew up with him in that generation. He was born in 1898 wow. <laughs> uh, as a, with a very detached relationship of an older person living in the home. So a lot of my relationship was with my mum, mm-hmm. who was a, a very you know, strong woman. You know, she, she had a driver's license in the 1940s. She drove a car. How unusual. Amazing. <laughs> and I remember my aunt, my great aunt saying, the first time she saw my mother, she was wearing shoes that had heels and stockings. <laughs> <laughs> first time they had seen anything like this. But yes, my mom uh, dedicated her life to us. She married at quite a late age, 28 in those days. Yeah. And uh, from her, I learned basic values that I still hold very dear to my heart that, uh, you know, in in describing religion, because she never took us to a temple. So we always did the ceremonies at home. And when I would ask her about these ceremonies, she would say, my son, the issue about religion is not about the ritual. It is about the service to your society. Mm. That all religions carry the same fundamental principles of caring, of generosity, of love, of compassion. And really, we are all tributaries that leads to one ocean of humanity. And that purpose of your life will always be to serve those that are less fortunate than you. And I took that to heart. And, uh, you know, she would... In many ways, people that came to the door and they, you know, were begging for food would get a plate of food. Yeah. People that worked with us would use the the cutlery and the plates that we had ate from the same pot. So, she taught me to see beyond color, to see beyond religion, to see beyond culture, see beyond gender. And she was this, the first strong feminine influence in my life, and that's why my great respect for what women stand for, the nurturing, the attention to raising families, to building society. And I think it's shocking in today that we don't have more women in positions of power. Then we'd have a more caring society, a more compassionate society. I think you certainly have touched on on a nerve, I think, for many people who, who feel much the same way about about women's leadership. But of course, what a beautiful story to actually start our interview with. Lucy, you, on the other hand, were growing up half a world away in Canada, Nova Scotia and Quebec, to be more precise. What were your early years like? Snow. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of it, I'm sure. I miss snow. Um, I grew up... Um, uh, ostracized and that's why I think I recognized Jay's pain. I grew up French Canadian in an English Canadian province and at school we were beaten up and put gum in our hair or cut our hair or squished between the big garbage bins in the walls and so went fine because my father was in the armed forces and we I was born in Nova Scotia and moved Ontario, Manitoba and then finally we arrived in the French province, Quebec and I was 12 years old and when I set foot in Quebec I said, oh mama I feel at home. Hmm. So that's culture. Yes. My passport is Canadian but my culture is Quebecoise mm-hmm. and um, like Jay's mom my parents also 
uh, we lived, in fact, in a Mandela value house um, the, uh, where we honored, uh, we adopted, for example, a black girl, my sister. Yes. <coughs> so we saw beyond color and everything. And having lived um, in the early years of my life being um, ridiculized, called French frogs, or men, when English people c come beside us, we're speaking French, they look at us and say, speak white. You know, oh. we were called the white niggers of America. <laughs> so it was it was tough. And and so um, when I met Jay, I understood not at the same level. I'm not comparing apartheid and my and my case. I'm ca comparing the emotions. Yes, yes. My emotions was one of being rejected because of my culture. So Jay was rejected because of his skin color. So I was always sensitive to that. And I've always, since I'm young, I remember... Uh, fighting for social justice and uh, when I was 11 or 12 uh, we went shopping once a year for the school stuff and I told my father well, I want those shoes for this year he said no we can't buy those shoes I said why because they're bata I said so well bata has a company in South Africa where they m mistreat black people so yeah. you have to choose other shoes so sure. I was raised in a politically conscious family yes, yes. Uh, I was raised in a very anti-religious family which is um now i'm not religious but i'm very we have a very strong spiritual life jay right. and i mm -hmm. so um yeah it was um i had early lessons in life which were served me up till today because the hardship i went through i understand the other and i'm all i can easily put myself in the shoes of other people and uh, i understand the pain and when you understand the pain then Solidarity is instant. Yes. There's a beautiful point of connection there, uh, Jay. Uh, but of course, uh, well before you had met Lucy, you developed that early political consciousness that, that turned you into the activist you came, you became. Uh, you were inspired, I understand, by leaders like Steve Beagle. What drew you to the idea not just of service, but of struggle? Well, it was Steve Beagle. Remember, I grew up very angry, very much like young people today are very angry at the exclusion, the marginalization. Remember, growing up under apartheid, which not many young people that are born after 1994 understand, yes. there was a time when I truly believed I was inferior to white people. And, you know, it's hard to think about it today. Yes, yes. You know, particularly because I'm now married to Lucy, <laughs> who is white. And we don't see color, you know. And we come from such different cultures, religions, you know, uh, languages and... Uh, Everything's different. Everything. Language, color, geography, politics. But what holds us together, even after 28 years, yes. is our values. Mm. Because integrity has no language or religion or political alliance. Yes. Love, respect, uh, truth, uh, care, sharing. And I grew up like that and he grew up like that. Yes, but the, the moment... When it happened was uh, when I was 15 years old in the late 60s when I went to a Lutheran church where Steve Beaker was talking and this charismatic, beautiful, strong, you know, militant person walked out and, you know, shouted a mandala and we all responded to it. And, and when he talked about the mind of the oppressed being the main weapon in the hands of the oppressor and that all we had to do was to lose the chains, the mental chains that shackled us in this belief that we were less than the other because of color. And that was my moment of truth. It's like suddenly it, a light bulb went, you know, eureka in my head. It's like, 
And I was able to take the anger I felt, which would have led to delinquency as it often leads, and channel it into thinking about how I could assert the fact that I am equal, that I am equal to anyone. You know, that color didn't matter. I am a human being. I understood my humanity. And that's what set me on the path to activism and political activism, first in the university and then in the community and then eventually in the trade union and then into government and even globally. So I think Steve Biko, for me, opened the door. And, And, you know, what I sort of look at today, the growing anger which is very legitimate about the exclusion, the marginalization of young people. Uh, I, I look at it and I think that that anger could be so positively used, so positively harnessed towards a different you know, objective, to a different destination. If only people of my generation were able to listen more, not listen with their head, listen with their heart. And I think what Mandela taught me, you know, after 27 years in jail, is that the most important journey you will make in life is that excruciating and painful journey from your head to your heart because mm-hmm. that's where the soul of the, your soul sits. And that's where you find compassion and solidarity and generosity and love. And that's where you see the connection with others, whether it is other human beings of other cultures and religions and colors or whether it's nature. And I think today it's really difficult to say that we can fix up the problems of South Africa because 1994 was a miracle. We changed a system that was brutal and brought in a system that is supposed to be more humane. The thing that I think about today is that more as important as changing the system is changing the human being. How can we make better human beings? that understand what their purpose in life is, that are connected between their head, their heart, and their spirit, so that when they do things, it's not to serve themselves. It's like my mother said, serve the society, because that is your goal and purpose of life. Lucy, it's interesting that South Africa was probably the first place you wanted to come to when you left your country. Why? No, actually, it was India. (laughs) India? I I traveled the whole world before coming to South Africa, and I had fallen in love with India and, and when I met Jay I was talking into about India and then at one point I said you you're so Indian and he got so mad he said I'm not Indian I'm South African and I understood after why because in during apartheid you're Indian therefore you you know exactly. so yes. uh, yeah I had traveled a lot and um, what happened is my dream job of my life was to be a foreign correspondent and when Mandela was freed from jail, there was his job opening in a foreign correspondent in international show. Yes. And I applied, I, I sent like 15 CVs to that, uh, to that before Mandela was freed. I f- sent about 15 CVs uh-huh. every six months I would send. Yes. And then when Mandela was freed, someone said, oh, you should interview this, this woman. You know, we were about 15 and then five and then two at the end. And because I had traveled a lot, uh, I was chosen, but I wasn't chosen because I had sent 15 CVs. So So South Africa was, and I didn't know much about South Africa. I had never been to Africa. I mean, I I knew Mandela was black and the clerk was white, you know, but uh, I'm exaggerating a bit, but I had to do a lot of research. And then um, when I came to South Africa, I discovered that it's the greatest, the biggest diaspora, Indian diaspora in the world. And then I meet this guy. And then, uh, so I, yeah, so 
South Africa was, wasn't even on my, I hadn't even thought about South Africa because who would want to go to South Africa? You know, it was a hellhole. Yes, well, at that time, so I, that I, precisely my, I had another my, my hellhole there, being <laughs> French Canadian in the English country, you know, so. Exactly. Yeah. But, but I mean, it's almost as though you walked into a time of, of, of severe dissension in the country. Yes, and we weren't even allowed to live together. Uh, and when I, well, that's before, but when I came here, um, the first time I met him, it was a 27 October 1990. And I had, uh, we were, that day I was in Soweto. It was a launch of the ANC Youth League. And then Walter Sisulu was there and Joe Slovo. And there was 50,000 people in Orlando Stadium and they were toy toying and dancing. And then this cute Indian guy in jeans and a red silk shirt <laughs> comes and says, Amandla, and 50,000 people shut up. I look at my researcher, I said, I want him in my documentary. Oh. And that same night, mm -hmm. I'm doing a, a, a documentary on the history of jazz in South Africa with the African jazz yeah. pioneers. We were at the Jameson's Jazz Bar. And he walks in, and then I said, hey, you, I saw you today. I want an interview. And he looked at me. First, I was white, and second, I was a journalist. Mm -hmm. What do you think he told me? To piss off, <laughs> you know, at 2 in the morning or at 11 at night it was. Because journalism here was, uh, wasn't journalism, was propaganda. Right, right. You know, so, but I insist, I'm, yeah. a, I'm very perseverant. <laughs> so I go up to him and I, I yeah. give him my business mm -hmm. card and I say, really, I want to, I want to. Uh, so he said, okay, you can sit beside me, but you mustn't talk politics. And so we talked for hours about our mothers, that's what oh. we talked about. We have very similar mothers. Mine is still alive. Yes. And, and then he, 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 I said, okay, I have, it's two in the morning. I'm shooting now in the morning. Uh, so I said, I'll walk back to, I was staying at the Johannesburg Sun. He said, no, you're not walking back. He said, it's just a kilometer. He said, here, nothing has to do with distance. He said, I'll walk back with you. And we did. And we got hijacked by five guys with, with, uh, with knives. Oh, no. And then they looked at Jay and said, oh, Mr. Naidu, sorry, sorry. And then they left, and I, I realized, oh, my, who's this guy, you know? And then we arrive at the Joburg Sun. I invite him in my room, and he refused. Uh, so, but that's another story. <laughs> I'm sure he <laughs> I'm a gentleman. I'm a gentleman. You know why he refused? I'll tell you why he refused. No, he, his version, who do you want to believe? The, the, the politician or the journalist? Let me tell my, my side of the I'm story. I'm inclined to believe the journalist. but uh. <laughs> Yeah, so I'll tell. He, he refused because it was full of shop stores that recognized him. So what would he have said uh, going up in a white woman's, you know, so I understood that just after. Anyway, they would have been very proud of me. <laughs> <laughs> and but Jay, what were you feeling in those moments? Were, were you attracted to, to Lucy? Yes, I mean, the fact that we were dancing till two in the morning, <laughs> you know, and, and remember is that she carried no baggage. Yes. Of the country. Right. So it was... Uh, so inspiring it was like here i'm talking to a person who's interesting who's you know got great views a strong personality uh who also shared my connection with my mother as with her mother and so the conversation and danced very well <laughs> and we both I was liked still jazz. just after the interview darling <laughs> <laughs> and so i it, it was like meeting someone that you know i may never see again we actually said, have a nice life after a one-week affair. So, so you, did not, you didn't intend to, to get together in the long term? Was that no, the no we had a one-week affair. I'd put a do not disturb sign on my hotel door at 11 at night when I finished my day, go to his house, yes. have fun till 5 in the morning, come back <laughs> at 6. I didn't sleep for one whole week. 
And then at the end, we said, have a nice life. We thought we'd never see each other again. But a few weeks later, it was my birthday, and he phones me in Montreal, and he says, oh, uh, how are you? Happy birthday. And I'm fine. And, and then I said, uh, he said, what's you doing for Christmas? I said, I'm going to North Pole. You want to come? He said, okay. And then I said, oh, my God, what did I just say? What did I just <laughs> do? And it's the North Pole that became the magical. Yeah. Her mom was teaching home. Inuit children yeah. in, the, in, the, in the North Pole, in, in the Arctic Circle. And so, you know, I, I sort of, wow. So I sort of got the warmest clothes I could find, <laughs> yes. all wool, and then I arrived there and they said, no, this doesn't, this doesn't work in, <laughs> in the Arctic Circle. <laughs> At minus the temperatures 52. are minus 50. Yeah. You take two planes. And I remember as we were descending to the village where mom was teaching, I said, but there's no airstrip and there are lots of animals out there. So Caribou. the plane goes down and shoes off the animals and then comes back to land and when the door opens my god <laughs> minus 50 there's no cars just skidoos you know the skidoo wow. yes. motorized yeah. uh, yeah yes uh, so so uh, i mean uh, to me as an african uh, and and you coming from much the same climate jade this yes. must have been quite alienating from plus 30 to minus 50 yeah. <laughs> and plus that when you're traveling on the skidoo you got to wear a snorkel uh, a because snorkel. the air comes at minus 18. It's too cold for your lungs. So you wear wow. a snorkel to uh, to just heat up the air a little bit in your lungs. And this was uh, New Year's Eve. Yes. And I remember we said we'll have a little nap. And I got up and there's gunfire all around. Because that's how the Inu would celebrate. They all fire their guns into the air. And but I he, thought I was back in South Africa yeah. in the middle of a war. <laughs> how, how do you begin to fall in love in this environment? So, I, you know, we fell in love. And then, so all the questions after he moved to South Africa, and I said, you're mad. I have a son in shared custody. He's three years old. One week, one week. What am I supposed to do? Six months, six months. And that's what eventually happened. But it was a very traumatic first year because six months after um, that, I moved to South Africa. Mm. And I fell into a deep depression because I didn't know what was happening to me. I had the job of my life, the man of my life, but I didn't have my son for the first six months and I was there was bars and keys and everyone locks everything and yes. there was danger here and danger there and and then at one point I said I can't do this anymore and that night I packed up after a few months eh? I packed up and Jay said well you know we tried it didn't work I packed up my thing and then that night CBC Canadian Broadcasting Corporation phoned yes because their correspondent was sick, and that's how I got the job eventually, and said, tomorrow there's the uh, National Peace Accord with the, the clerk, Boutelezi, and um, I forget who, anyway, do you want to cover it? And then, yes, Mandela. it was Mandela, that's why I, didn't, I wasn't sure. So I went there, and my life changed there, because I, had a jo I, I was doing my job, I, yes, was, I yes. was busy, and then it started, and then I unpacked my suitcase, and uh, you know, it was providence, really, wasn't it? Yeah, but I don't do that with all my interviews. You know, marry them and have kids. And all that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a I good thing so. you did so with this particular one. But I mean, I, you, Lucy, you found yourself uh, in this country that was so different to the country in which you grew up. There was, uh, there was the horror of gender violence, which you, you were mm. covering in all your documentaries, and at the same time, uh, you, you were married to this very fiery trade unionist, anti-apartheid activist who was very much in the public eye. Uh, were you not as a family being targeted at that time? Yeah, there's guys with guns arrive at home one day, you know. I got the shock of my life. I had to go hide with my son and then 
the Jay was out of the country and then they said, phone Peter Harris's lawyer. If anything happens, I phone and he comes. He said, don't phone the police. And I had taken the license plate numbered and it happened. They traced it back three days later. He said that this was from, it was a police car trying to, it, the, the guys were from the police. So I went through, you know, once I got doing the groceries, I opened the boot of the car. There's a bulletproof vest. I said, what's a bulletproof vest doing in the car? Shouldn't it be on your body? And I arrive home with bulletproof vest. Is that what we're, and then they put guards at their house and then I said, as long as he sleeps on the side, not in the middle, I'm okay, you know. He had big guns. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. so it was, it was, you know, I was, my hair was all white by 30. Mm. And I, okay, there's genetics, but I, I'm sure there's these events. What you, I mean, my, the greatest excitement of li- my life was at five in the morning canoeing on a lake and hearing loons. Mm. That was my excitement. Wow. And now arriving. So it was a really big adjustment. Uh, up to a psychiatric hospital. I, I just fell apart. And then, but Jay never, ever, even today, 28 years, my husband never, ever gave up, never abandoned the fight, ne- always understood, always was loving and helpful and supportive. And thank you, Jay. Thank you. <laughs> I love that. I love that, Jay. What mm. what keeps you? I mean, your commitment was to the country. It was to the anti-apartheid struggle. But you re- remained committed to this beautiful wife of yours. You remained committed to the children you had together. How did you balance those two heavy burdens as a man? Mm. Well, it wasn't a choice you, you make, you know. Um, you know, I always thought I would die at 36 because... Life, well, that was life. I don't know, it was a number that came into my head. And actually, it, I was like a machine. I had no time for personal relationships. I remember telling Lucy at the beginning that, you know, 80% of my life and is dedicated towards fighting for justice. No, you had said 95% of your life <laughs> is for that, and 5% is for sleeping. I remember it very well, Naidu. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But I still get went for you. Yes. I still went for, and the first time he brings, a, he takes me out for supper. He opens his wallet; it's empty. He said, "Oh, sorry, can you pay?" I still went for him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I respected women's ahead. rights to pay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, you know, for me, I met Lucy at thirty-six. Mm. You were bearing your old life. Yes, I was bearing my old life. I was. Uh, it was my rites of passage to find my heart, to find, and you know, find the life that I had to have outside of the struggle. And, you know, I always credit Lucy with making me more human and making me more in touch with myself. You know, I describe, you know, the period I'd been in public life is like a Brazilian footstand in Rio in 1980s. And it's full of brightly colored bottles. And, you know, being in public life, what we do is we cork all our emotions and we put them away. Yes. You know, and, and I think that's a tragedy. One of the tragedies of our country is that we do not pay attention to, to dealing with that emotional, psychological trauma that we have been through. That wound, that deep wound, whether it is manifest in terms of people feeling superior or inferior, or whether it's in xenophobia or gender violence or consumerism, it's a wound. We all carry. We carry a wound of an inner child, something that happened to us in childhood. But under apartheid, it was even more radical in its in the repression that we face and the way they robbed us of our identity. So I think we as a society in South Africa, we're deeply damaged. But no, it's, you know, I'm a man. I'm not supposed to talk about it. Mm-hmm. I've gone through a burnout in the last year. 
and I, you know, and it's really about me facing my shadow. You know, I've been trying to do work in in communities. These communities are so deeply brutalized and 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 excluded that, in a sense, I ended up uh, feeling that uh, overwhelmed by it. So I, I I understand what Lucy had been through, and that that experience of of going within to deal with the shadow we all carry. Yes. Not that you eliminate the shadow, but how do you? create a harmony between the light and the shadow how do you deal with your consciousness and i think you know as einstein said you know we can't solve the problems of our country with the consciousness that created the problems i think one of the big challenges that faces us in this country is that we're not in touch with who we are mm-hmm. we we just constantly othering other people we are constantly a small incident explodes into violence into venom on social media and we're not coming to terms with the fact that we have no identity. We haven't got an identity. We can't build a nation. So part of this journey of us, which is Make South Africa a laboratory of managing diversity, managing identity, managing transition, yes. is first of all to know who we are, know where we come from, know what our purpose is. And then that journey, which is what Mandela tried to teach us, makes us better human beings in understanding the other person. And that's the work we have to do. You know, it's it's not tangible, it's not quantitative, it's the qualitative work, the messiness about who are we as individual citizens coming from such different cultures, as it was the case with me and Lucy. Yes, yes. We had to work through those issues mm-hmm. really hard to build the solid foundation of our of our relationship. Were there, were there difficulties like cultural issues, for example, that came between the both of you? I mean, I somehow see that you as individuals who could work through an issue like race. But cultural differences can be divisive in a marriage. Uh, yes, there was a few incidents. One, when our, uh, Kami, our son, was born, um, I w- he was three months old and I was having a nap in the house of, their, of his sister in Durban. And while I was sleeping, they took the baby and shaved the hair off. Yes. When I got up, of course I freaked out. Mm-hmm. They didn't ask me, inform me. I said, well, now it's in our culture. Well, tell me it's in your culture, you know? And uh, that really pissed me off. And when our daughter was born, I said, no one is touching my daughter. Mm-hmm. So there was, li- but it's, it, was, it wasn't, it was rare, I think, the adjustment because we had uh, come up in, in, uh, in families where, we accepted anyone. And the other, the other one that I, I remember is I never spoke English to my children, always French, because I, I'm, my heart is in French. I, I yes. wouldn't know. Yes, I have trouble speaking English. So I'd rather <laughs> speak French. And uh, yes. so they speak English with Jay and French with me. And then, and then I'm from a Catholic background, but I'm not practice, pr- practicing. And he's from a Hindu b- background, not practicing, but he's practiced uh, not the ritual, but the spirituality. And one right. day he comes home, he says, my children, they don't even speak English. They don't know how to pray. And I said, you expect me to teach them your language and your religion? That's your job, darling. And that kind of, you know, so it didn't happen often, but those two incidents. Well, there's one that I would like to talk about, which <laughs> is. You know, it's the, the way in which our society is so patriarchal. 
So Lucy comes from Quebec. In Quebec, the women are not allowed to take legally by law the name of their husbands. Yeah. Right. We're born with a name, we die with a name. Right. Why and do so, I need his name to be me? Yes, and, and that's something I completely recognize. But you know what a struggle that is. Even when I was in government, you know, I would go to all these banquets beforehand to make sure that they got a name down as Lucy Page, yes. not as Mrs. J. Naidu. Right. Yes. And I think this is a fundamental issue. It may seem simple, I but I think it's a fundamental issue of recognizing the individuality of women. And, and it has to go beyond gender parity and gender rights. It's about recognizing the also differences that exist between men and women. We have different roles, but we recognize that role and respect that role. And a woman retaining her name is essential in us understanding and respecting the sacred feminine of the woman and restoring balance between the masculine and the feminine. I would go to these banquets and the Mrs. Jane I do know, Lucie Paget, and then after that conversation, uh, so there was men minister in the Mandela government, yes. I mean women minister with their husbands, and the people go up to the husbands, what do you do in life? And they come up to me and say, what do you do during the day? Mm. Just that, Yes. and they say, well, I work. You work, but why? Your husband's a minister. I said, what does that have to do with anything? Yeah. You know, so I would get really uh, emotional sometimes about it because I realized I had to fight to be who I am, especially being married to him. And Jay was the, Jay was, was not, is not at all the man. He'd get up in the night and change the nappies and wash the floor and cook. And he was, he's, I had never had anything. And he, he takes out the bin, everything. Mm. He's a good husband. <laughs> He's very well trained indeed, Lucy. Congrats to you on that. On that My mum trained me. <laughs> I, I just ask you, as, as, we, as we get to the end of our interview, your parental figures, you're, you're still clearly very good friends and, and, uh, and marriage partners. And, and I can see you are one another's singular loves. Uh, what is the secret to a happy marriage, particularly as you perhaps go into a period now where you, you might be thinking about growing old together and what that means. I get the answer to that. Oh, you do? Yes. Share it with, with us. Uh, I always have the last word. <laughs> and the last word is, oui, ma chérie. Yes, my darling. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, I think the, 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 one que the one word that popped in my head when you're asking the question is talk. Always talk talk about our emotions, where are we, what's your dream, what you're listening to. And we, we still today we go to Valentine's coming, we'll go to a restaurant, we sit in the restaurant. We never in 28 years had a dull moment of silence between us because we had nothing to say. Mm -hmm. We always have something to say and we, uh, he interests in what I do. I am interested in what he does. I support him, he supports me. It's a companionship. It's um, a collaboration. There's no uh, competition. I see couples where, oh, you did that. I want to do that too, you know. So there's no jealousy. Uh, it, we've, we've never, f we don't fight anymore really, hardly. And, and, you know, renovating a house. Some, some couples get divorced and then <laughs> we, we had to choose each on our side of between the 50 shades of white. And we both came with number 37, you know. So wow. that's, <laughs> we go on the menu, we close the menu when we say we choose the same thing. So I don't know, we were meant uh, somehow to be together, but it's work. We did have to go to counseling sometimes, yes. marriage, and mm -hmm. because to manage the distance, to manage the it, it's a, it was a lot. Manage my depression in the beginning, and you know, and we've he never. I said, Jay, I think we need a few sessions with the uh, sure, my darling. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. So we'd go and that was, you know, so we always work. It's work. It is work. It's nice work, but it's work and you can't just let it go. Mm. But but love makes the work worth it, yes, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. And, 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 and be kind. Be kind to yourself, first of all, and then be kind to others. Mm. Uh, a lot of it is it, 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 uh, anger and it's, it, relationships are, are also have its highs and its lows. So accept yes. that. It's life. Mm-hmm. So try not to react on anger. Take a step back. Learn to detach. Learn to hold the tongue because it's a sword. Well, he's good at that. I'm still learning. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and so I, I think learning to be patient and learning when is the right timing, learning to listen with empathy and not just with your head. You know, a lot of people, you know, they listen to you, but uh, they already in their minds have got their answers for what they're going to say to you. Mm-hmm. So I think patience and uh you know, and and a commitment to be open, and even in a moment when your partner is feeling down, she doesn't need advice. She needs someone to listen. She needs a shoulder to lie on. And I think often, you know, men fall into the trap of always trying to solve a problem. Yes. Sometimes the best thing is just to learn to hold your partner. Beautiful thought to end our discussion on. Thank you both so much for coming in. Lucy Baget and Jane Naidu, great pleasure having you. Thank you. Thank you, Joanne. Oh, what a beautiful interview. Mm. What a <laughs> <laughs> what Oh, that's nice. Oh, yeah. I don't often get to talk about love. You know, yes. Way, and yes. that's the basis of life. We have yes, to. Yes, exactly. yes. And... Yeah, it's, it was a beautiful opportunity to do yeah. that. And I think we, we chose the perfect couple. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've been wanting someone to do that for ages. I'm really? so tired of being interviewed about yes, politics. Exactly, exactly. Mm. Um, but, but it was wonderful. So, Lucy, will you sign the box? Oh, it's a pleasure. For me? With a pleasure. I would love that, please. Thank okay. you. Okay. Is it Joanne? I actually know. Do you are double N? No, it's. Thanks for reminding me. Thank you.